Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to experience the Gut Check Project, talking science, health, and innovation that you can actually use. But this isn't just another health show. No, no. We're here to have fun and make your time enjoyable. And you like to have fun, right? Well, while you are enjoying yourself, know that even though the GCP covers some health topics with healthcare pros, we are not your doctors. So use our show to entertain your mind and not for medical advice. And now, here are your hosts of the Gut Check Project, Dr. Ken Brown and Eric Rieger. Hey, Gut Check Project fans and KBMD Health family, welcome to the Gut Check Project. I'm your host, Eric Rieger, joined by the master host, Dr. Kenneth Brown, what's up, Ken? Oh, I'm doing great. Master host. I like that title. Oh, That's... I've got I've got more titles coming. All right. Awesome. Yeah, it's uh everything is great. We're back here, you and I solo. The last few episodes we did, we always had a guest, but you know, we have a lot of stuff that we have to cover. Our audience is asking questions. We gotta answer a bunch of stuff. Yeah, we definitely do. Thank you to all of those who have been uh, subscribing to GCP Raw on Locals. So of course you can go to Locals.com and search for Gut Check Project, and that will direct you directly to the Gut Check Project Raw, where we can actually give you some content that we just simply don't put front-facing. We've got some private stuff. We've got offers, deals, discounts, etc. But it's actually been a really, really cool experience having people communicate more one-on-one with us, the show, if that's what you want to call it. But anyway, but us, they, they send in questions, and it kind of led to what will eventually become our topic today. Yeah. Uh, what I hear from my patients that actually sign up with this, they really like that we cover controversial stuff, mm. that we talk about things that normally I think would create a lot of heated arguments, but yeah. we're able to sit there and just bring this out and be like, now normally this kind of stuff would get us canceled on YouTube because we understand the censorship. Fortunately, there's this platform where we can talk about whatever we want. Definitely. And on Raw, if we ever have an episode that bleeds into an area, if we have a guest that wants to reveal certain things that we don't put on the front facing even even on rumble rumble is not uh censored however sometimes we edit the content that is kind of bonus material and make it only available on raw exclusively for those who are supporting the show but regardless always check us out on rumble locals some parts on youtube but of course spotify and itunes do you know what i love is when you'll send me various social media type stuff like twitter and articles that'll be published yeah that you know are some would consider controversial. We don't really. And then I realized that the people on the panel doing that, we've had them on as guests. I love hey, seeing that. That's like, right. Yeah. I like look at that and go, Oh, look at that. Yeah. We had her on. Oh, sweet. Yeah. We were on with this person. And- it's wild. Uh, and frankly, I wasn't on Twitter at all, uh, until, um, Musk bought Twitter. And the only reason why I end up getting redirected there is while looking up subject material, it will almost invariably find something that's been posted recently within Twitter. That's how I end up finding some of the things. It doesn't matter what we're discussing health-wise. That's where the reference comes from. And then suddenly you go and wouldn't you know it's it's been cited. And then, of course, I kind of dug in a little bit more deeply before Elon, things like that, getting censored, just like they do on YouTube, Facebook, et cetera. And with him, he's like, look, it's a... The only way to defeat misinformation or bad speech is with better speech. And I, I like that. You shouldn't, you're an adult. You should be able to discern for yourself where you want your references uh, to come from. Yeah, I actually finally got Twitter because of that. And I have no idea how to actually search what I'm going for yet. Yeah, I don't know how to so, either. <laughs> so you'll just like send me stuff. I'm like, oh, cool. Yeah. Because otherwise I don't, I don't even know where to even turn on there it are yet, many, quite yet. There are many links I've lost and I don't have any idea how to get them back. Yeah. But so. when I hear other people, that's where they actually get a lot of, a lot of podcasters start their 
search in Twitter now because yeah, they sure. can find things that are current and controversial and whatever it is. So, anyway, what's up, Ken? How's uh, how's the fam? Oh, the family's doing absolutely great. We got uh, Lucas at UT. He got to experience his first true Austin thing, which was Austin City Limits. Oh, he went to, did he go to a concert? He did. Who did yeah. you go see? Um, I saw a video of Hozier. I saw some other videos. I heard that the Kendrick Lamar was kind of got shut down early for some reason. I think Lucas was already, because he had school the next day, he wasn't there for that. But, okay. Uh, Austin City Limits, that's, I mean, that is a great way to experience a city. Uh, growing up, you know, uh, ACL would oftentimes put their, I mean, I don't watch regular television anymore, but they would oftentimes put some of their premier concerts replayed on PBS up here, uh, you know, off of the Dallas affiliate. And so I, I watched... Oh, man, I can't even remember all of them, but I mean, I've seen several different Texas legends yeah. back then. It was kind of a little bit more of that. Make an appearance on ACL, and then you would get to see cool, cool little quaint concerts. And now the venue is a little bit different. It's bigger now. Well, this venue was huge. It was outdoors. Yeah. They had multiple stages, that kind of thing. Uh, like, like Oh, a, like you're a talking like the ACL Festival. Festival, yes. Oh, yeah. That thing's huge. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. There's I'm, something else known as ACL? Well, it did. The ACL, and I may be screwing up the timeline. I'm sure Scott, he watches the show, he'll be able to tell me I screwed the whole thing up. But ACL, Austin City Limits, was just a concert venue. And then over time, it, it oh. birthed into a festival. And, of course, South by Southwest, whenever you and I were college age, was kind of the music festival of Austin. But now, and, and, and I'm not shitting on it. It's just what it is. It's become commercialized, and now it's very, very big. And ACL quickly was able to model themselves i would say similar to what south by southwest is oh okay and lots of concert stages you move around and and see a bunch of different acts but acl itself acl proper is they invite in a special artist and it's intimate setting and you watch different shows happen and now i think the uh where they film acl now i believe if i'm not mistaken is downtown and it's the same I'm going to script a theater. I can't remember what it's called exactly, but it's the same place that uh, the boys took me to see uh, Hannibal Burris. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, was that the Alamo draft? No, I don't. I don't remember, but I do remember that you had a blast seeing Hannibal Burris there. I like that you said Alamo draft house. Well, isn't that, isn't that a theater there? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, yeah. It's, that's, a, that's a movie theater. Oh, it's not like There's that. There's an Alamo draft house up here, too. Oh, I thought it was like... I thought you were being funny. No, because it's... <laughs> I mean, part of this is just because of references when Rogan talks about his comedy show oh, next yeah, to yeah, such yeah, and yeah, such, yeah, yeah. and it's all these venues right around it. The Alamo Draft House uh, in Austin is on Lamar, south of south of uh, Town Lake. Mm. So, but yeah. Uh, so, sorry, I thought you were being funny, but no. Yeah. It wasn't that. I just I just don't know Austin well enough. I'm going to get to know it over the next four years. Heck yeah, so, man. That's what's cool. going on with you? Anything interesting happen in your life? Uh, boys are great. Granddaughter's awesome. Daughter-in-law's fantastic. Um, but son's birthday was this last weekend, and while visiting him, I had to get up early to return to our area here in North Texas to uh, uh, report for a duty of anesthesia. Fortunately, we had a late start, and... I just decided I'll just take off early in the morning, drive in, no big deal, done it before, very familiar with the terrain out in West Texas. I know that there are hogs and coyotes and deer that run around at night, but on my trek back, um, 
Well, I didn't make it in my truck at least to report for work because uh, it was very dark. I saw a couple of doe on the side of the road, so I began to slow down. And then this gigantic buck just decided he didn't want to wait any longer to cross the road and ran right in front. And I, just as I swerved, thankfully, um, I thought I was going to miss him, but he stutter stepped or something. I don't really know what he what he was doing. It looked like he was going to clear the road, but I hit him right on the butt. Unfortunately, he died. Uh, but the uh, the truck, I mean, man, it pushed in the bumper. I was fine. I wasn't injured whatsoever. All the airbags go off. I've never really even been in an accident before in my life. And, uh, but I was fine. I was safe. And, uh, but all the bags, they, they performed great. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I mean, cause people don't realize you hit a deer, uh-huh. you would slow down yeah, and it did that much damage to your car. How big was this buck? Well, okay. We'll get to that. So I think that I was slowed down to about 50 miles an hour ish. By the time I hit the deer, and I was cruising, probably about sixty-five or seventy. Like I said, it's dark. Yeah. But um, but I was able to slow down when I saw the doe, and because there were two of them, and then I, I and you kind of get the feeling there's others around because doe don't just roll around by themselves generally. Um, but uh, so I'd slow down. And I figure I was probably going around fifty when I hit this, made contact with the deer. All the airbags go off. You know, steering wheel, ones by your legs. The ones that come down like curtains yeah. all over the truck. And it's kind of startling. I was able to pull over, but the bags didn't hurt me at all. What was crazy was the amount of smoke and dust. That stuff smells like shit. <laughs> I mean, it's just awful. <laughs> and so I couldn't get out of there fast enough. But uh, I called 911. Uh, uh, Crosby County uh, sent a deputy out there. He's super cool. A great, great guy. Responded quickly. Uh, on the phone, the insurance, a second deputy rolls up and he's like, uh, that's a, um, because that, that deer is huge. And he goes, that buck's, he's a big one. And I can remember, I saw the back of the buck still over the top of the hood of my truck. Wow. And you have a tundra. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I don't, but I did. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, then he said it was, it was probably a 10, but only had nine points, probably lost one on the fall, you know? And, uh, but I'm, I'm pretty sure they, they ran through uh communication with the game warden and, and harvested the deer. And quite honestly, deer season is in three weeks. Anyway, that guy was going to go down no matter what he was old. He was aged. I mean, this is, they're, they're primed for harvesting at this point in time. I mean, I don't want to hit an animal anyway, but I'm glad that it was something that somebody was able to take action on and, and use. So, but anyway, yeah, I was fine, but my son, my youngest son, uh, not the one whose birthday it was, but uh, he met the 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 officer was great. Gave me a lift back to another town, halfway back to Lubbock. He gets up, picks me up, drops me off the airport. I walk in, quickly grab a ticket, make it to the airport, uh, uh, land, get an Uber, made it in time for work. Still, that's too stressful of a morning. I enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad that you. Didn't get hurt at all, and quite honestly, I think that buck had seen so many of his friends get shot over the years. He knew hunting season was coming, and he was going out on his terms. <laughs> I'm doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to hear those sounds all again and see all my friends go down. Yeah. Like, hey, everybody's fine. Uh, be sure and check out. If you're looking at the video feed on Rumble or uh, uh, Locals, you will see uh, the meme. Go ahead, Paul. You can put it up now. But my, my youngest son made a meme. Basically, nice. it just says buck one. 
Eric and Tundra Zero. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, anyhow, thank you, Mac. That was hilarious. That's funny. What are we talking about today? Because of Raw, we've received quite a bit of feedback, and many people have heard us talk about inflammatory foods, talked about good diet selection, uh, but something that you're not, and I'm not, is someone who routinely takes care of children. But you were tasked with talking about Correct. that. And so to really, I mean, it's just kind of weird that things kind of converge at the same time. But we have an opportunity now to share a lot of your presentation with our audience, which I think is, honestly, I think you did a phenomenal job when you did this presentation, but you were in a, in a time constraint to do it in specifically 20 minutes or less. Which so, is an impossible task. Yeah. But I think today we could probably do it in about 30. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and, yeah. and probably expand on a little bit more than what you had time for then. Yeah. So basically with a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about, when we talk about inflammation and we're talking about how to improve your microbiome, because of that, we started getting a lot of moms yeah. sending in. It's like, well, what do I do? I'm a mom. I'm a new mom. Of course, you've got your granddaughter, Lena and Gage and Laney, new parents. They're asking you questions. And so it, it just kind of fit. I'm like, yeah, well, let's go ahead and talk about this. And some of the research that I found about what to do, the timing, you know, how do you make sure that your child's gut health is ideal for brain development? How you make sure that when you start implementing different things and then the current limitations and what we're up against. Not only that, we've also got Paul and Kate where they've got a young one and one on the way. That's right. And that's really kind of where this you know, this origin is of how can I make the best impact and choices and what's my timeline to have this impact on my kid? And quite honestly, Ken, these aren't things that I knew to ask when I had kids and they were younger. And we've got the information. I love the fact that you put this together because I think sharing it arms people with at least a roadmap. How yeah. do I make these decisions? Yeah, and it's stuff that my parents didn't talk about. We didn't even talk about when we were raising our kids. Right. You're not thinking like this. No. And, of course, this kind of also sparked off of the podcast that we did where we talked about how flavonoids improve certain neurotransmitters. Right. And this is like an expansion on that. So, I, Man, I'm, I'm excited. So let's, let's get started. Let them all know. Yeah. All right. So here's some interesting stuff that, that I found out that I think every parent should know. So I was always told that your brain is not fully developed. The male brain is not fully developed until you're 25 years old. We always hear that. You know, you're not fully developed. That's how come teenagers make, you know, weird choices and such. But the reality is, is that your child's brain is 90% fully formed by age five. That means you need to give between age zero and age five the best opportunity to actually allow the brain to fully develop. Mm-hmm. And one of the most important things that research has shown is that your child has to have enough of something called DHA. And that's one of the fatty acids in omega-3 fatty acids. Omega-3 fatty acids, you hear about them all the time. You need to get your omega-3s and so on. But the reality is, is that it's, if you stop and think about it, where does it come from? How do I get my child the most? So the first thing is, let's make sure that you're helping your child develop their brain. Definitely. And, and all I'm going to do while you do this presentation, if it's cool with you, is just kind of highlight certain things just to expand so that um, if you're taking notes at home, then uh, hopefully what I can do is help give you something just to kind of write down so that you can reference back to this. If you are a raw subscriber, you'll definitely have an opportunity here in the near future to get like a 
a PDF or something else like that. We're going to try to make some cheat sheets out of this material here in the next few weeks. So yeah. So but omega three was something that just kind of made me think of that. So a lot of times people think about it, omega acids. Three is the one that we really need to work for. You can find six almost anywhere. It's not that it's not it's not needed, but we almost get too much of it, and it kind of becomes toxic and inflammatory. And it needs to be balanced out with omega three. Absolutely. And so we'll get into that about the ratios later, but. Very interesting. So as a mom, if you're breastfeeding, fortunately, a lot of DHA comes through breast milk. So as a mom, you should be making sure that your diet is heavily fortified with that. And you could even be supplementing with that. Mm-hmm. So like, so from let's just say zero to, uh, zero to six months, you've got uh, the ability to have breastfeeding going on, which will bring in a lot of the DHA. Even if you're not breastfeeding or right after you transition off of that, a lot of formulas. You need to find a really good quality formula that is fortified with DHA. So those are the two easy ones. Now, as your child starts to eat, we're talking about one to two years, you wanna make sure that your child gets between 80 and 100 milligrams of this DHA. And one way to do it is through fatty fish. Also something is eggs. And you need to get omega-3 fortified eggs. So keep an eye out for that. And then from age two to five years, you need upwards of around 270 milligrams. And that's where you just start expanding the diet and looking at different things about how to increase your omega-3 fatty acids so that you can get that DHA in there. Do you know, and I don't, I don't know the answer to this, uh, are the more organically pasture-raised, free-range hens, do they have the typical amount of what we're after for omega-3 and DHA already? I mean, you, you mentioned fortified eggs, and I'm, quite honestly, I, I kind of feel ignorant. We'll find out before we put yeah, the Yeah, I don't out. know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. I don't know, because they always talk about omega-3 fortified eggs. I wonder why you would have to fortify that. And I mean, how do they fortify it? The only way to do that is to feed the chickens. The hens. Yeah. Something with... Something with some with some extra omega-3s. I guess that's yeah. the only way to do it. Interesting. Oh, and by fatty fish, probably some things like salmon, cod would uh, have the uh, the high amounts, I would imagine. Yeah, salmon is the most common one that people think about, where you have lots of lot the oily fish. Mm-hmm. So that's first thing. That's the first concept that I really caught me off guard, because... As your child's growing, you give them the best opportunity to structurally develop the thing that you're going to try and protect for the rest of your life Yep. by age by age five. Now, the other thing, which is now getting a ton of research, is the second most important organ, and I'm going to call it a vital organ, and that's what we're referring to as the new frontier, the microbiome. Mm-hmm. And so the microbiome, people throw this term around. If you're unfamiliar with what it is, you have organisms living in you. And think of them as a vital organ because these organisms that consist of over 100 trillion bacteria, thousands of different species, what people don't realize is is that their genome can be 150-fold more than yours. You and I are 99% identical, but we could have 90% different microbiome, which is why you and I can be extremely different in the same situation. We know this because when you can take the stool from a fat mouse, give it to a skinny mouse, Mm -hmm. it'll make the skinny mouse fat and vice versa. So we know that these genes interact with your body in a huge way. So you have to protect your microbiome. And the thing is, is that the microbiome is like a triangle to the immune system and to the brain. Microbiome communicates with the immune system and regulates it, communicates with the brain and vice versa. So... With a proper microbiome, you have a proper immune system, and then you also have proper neurofunctioning, your brain. If one of those is off, then all three can be off completely. 
definitely. Uh, of course, the, there are references to those things, and I'm, I'm sure you'll get into it, about like the gut-brain axis and the gut-immune axis. These are They're called an axis because they communicate so well and represent the health, literally, of the gut and vice versa. So if one is ever told that they, just one small example, if one's ever told they have leaky gut, technically it's been, it's been decided, I guess, by most that would probably mean they could have leaky brain. There's, it's almost like the gut is going to be a representation of what's actually happening up here. So if you're failing down here, you're probably failing up here. That's exactly right. So we think of these barriers in our bodies Mm -hmm. that protect us. And so the blood brain barrier should be a impermeable or a semi-permeable barrier so that you don't just have random things leaking through. Mm -hmm. The other one is your gut barrier, the tight junctions. And one that people don't think about or that we've recently decided is not just a completely sterile environment is the placenta. So when do you start thinking about your child's microbiome? When it's in utero. Yeah. Because the mother is actually starting to share some of her microbial metabolites that we've talked about before and some of her own microbiome with her child in utero. So it starts that early. And it makes sense. I mean, if, if someone said, now how in the world could the gut have that kind of influence or representation of the brain? Your gut is where all of the food is going to go and everything is extrapolated from there to feed this microbiome to make these, these messengers that go all over the body. The food doesn't go, you don't, you don't put food into your brain. You don't feed food directly to your immune system. It has to go through the gut. And so the, the representation, the reason why they've been able to make these connections is precisely that if you're experiencing systemic inflammation, it's not just affecting the one area that you can see it. It's why sometimes people say what you eat can affect your skin or your joints or your brain. So a hundred percent. So when we're talking about the microbiome, so hopefully we understand that the microbiome is super important. Here's another thing that I learned while actually preparing for this. And it's that you have what's called a golden window Mm -hmm. for your child. Age zero to three, because by the time your child has reached three years of age, Mm -hmm. it has a microbiome like an adult. So you have this golden window, a golden window of opportunity, or it can become a window of harm. And now you set the stage that you're going to have to try and correct it for the rest of your life by age three. So you don't think about that. It's not something that I know a lot of pediatricians are talking about. Okay. You, we, we've got one more year to make sure that your child's microbiome is ideal and mm-hmm. optimized. So, and, and maybe you'll get into it. What are some of the risks that someone might, because you said through life, what are some of the risks that potentially someone could have if they don't have a well-established, well-balanced microbiome, maybe by the age of three, or what are we mitigating if we can achieve that? So the risks are tremendous. And we've talked about this, that, if you have inflammation in the gut, inflammation is the root cause of all disease. Okay. So we know that there's the risk of having skin issues, of having cardiac issues, diabetes, obesity, and even cancer. So this is no joke. It isn't just a thing of, oh, well, I want to make sure that my microbiome is healthy. You want to make sure your microbiome is being used to protect you from developing these diseases later in life. Well, you referenced earlier that swapping out the... Uh the fecal matter from a fat and skinny mouse and vice versa, how it had that impact. And it's having that through the communication of what that microbiome is now producing in that, in that gut. 
So uh, what I hear you saying is if you are going to set the stage for your child to have the best possible opportunity to not have diabetes, cancer, uh, autoimmune diseases, et cetera, then establishing a healthy, balanced microbiome well before the age of three is almost essential. Is that correct? Yes, 100%. And we're learning how essential it is. This is fairly, I mean, I say fairly new research. You know, within the last six, seven years, mm-hmm. we're starting to realize this. The good news is that if you're breastfeeding, mm-hmm. you're automatically sharing some of your microbiome with your child. But even the whole process of holding the child, being around the child, the bonding, you're sharing microbiome mm-hmm. together right there. So the the bonding alone. So even if you struggle breastfeeding, I know that Loida, you tried really hard, but really was not providing enough calories. And so, you know, we had to switch over to formula. Uh, but just holding the baby and being around the baby and, and doing that really helps with that right there. And milk actually has, breast milk has what's called oligosaccharides. And these are specific carbohydrates which are meant to feed your microbiome. Mm-hmm. It's not really used as fuel. It's there to try and feed your microbiome. And then the mom actually can transfer antibodies while she's breastfeeding so that that helps kill certain organisms which are going to cause trouble. It also helps with those antibodies to allow good bacteria to grow. I think that's actually a, a an often overlooked level of importance. It's really easy to gloss over the fact that, you know, mom is giving to baby these antibodies, right? So you're arming the immune system to not... Uh, wonder or wait around too long to stop an infection from growing out of control. But what impact does that have on the gut microbiome? Well, if a baby now has antibodies to fend off other disease, and and let's say that there's a baby that doesn't, now this baby suffers an infection. Right or wrong, more than likely they're going to go to a, a, a standard pediatrician and more than likely be given a course of antibiotics and we just said that this golden window is zero to three Mm -hmm. but if we have a baby who is zero to three and now we've interrupted the growth of that microbiome because we're treating an infection that otherwise might have been able to be mitigated or avoided with natural immunity acquired from the mother you've kind of interrupted the growth potentially of this gut microbiome and It's no one's fault. You want, obviously you don't want your child to be sick, but maybe in that one instance, this is where someone who is able to breastfeed has that, that mild advantage. Yeah. And then of course, after you get off breastfeeding the diet, you set the stage with diet and we're going to get into diet in a second. I do want to do a little sidebar here on breastfeeding. Yeah. Because obviously nature has made it so that during breastfeeding, you are able to give DHA Mm -hmm. for brain formation. You're able Mm -hmm. to give immunoglobulins. You're you're able to feed the microbiome. And we've fortunately found through proper ways right now, if you can't breastfeed or struggle to breastfeed, that's okay because there's ways to supplement. Just be fully aware of that. But definitely keep holding your baby, keep it close and everything. I only bring this up because it seems like there's this weird bullshit move where when I read articles, I'm like, I'm calling bullshit on this. Here's a great example. Just last week, an article came out in a journal of gastroenterology, American College of Gastroenterology, where the title of the article was breastfeeding 
um, is associated with a 21% increased risk of developing colon cancer. What? I mean, F off. That's just absolute. How can you even make this conclusion? And all they did is they looked at the National Institute of the Nurses study, you know, where they have like uh, millions of people that they follow and then they just kind of do data points on it. Uh-huh. And they found people that had colon cancer and I guess they went back and asked them, you know, considering you got diagnosed. We're not talking kids getting diagnosed. I'm talking lifetime risk. How in the world you can have statistical numbers to carve that out? Because there, it's like this weird push. It's like, oh, no, no, be careful breastfeeding because it, it can harm your baby. I'm calling complete bullshit on an article like that. Like, I wonder how something like that even got published. Even if the numbers kind of came out, knowing as a gastroenterologist that most of the cancers we find are people age 45 and up, I don't ask them. I, were you breastfed? Do you even, you know, like do people even realize? I only say this because it kind of seems like there's a little bit of a push, at least in traditional medicine, to kind of move people towards formula. And I know that this pendulum swings every few decades. It comes back and forth. But looking at this, you really, if you can, definitely breastfeed for a lot of different reasons. But two of them, brain and microbiome that we just covered. And we're going to stop this particular podcast for a special invitation. This invitation is to join the Gut Check Project Raw Locals community. We all are tired of the bullshit where we turn for great information, who we can trust. And essentially, we want to put a stop to that. There's a lot of bullshit out there, and I know about that because I'm a butt doctor. We're here to build this community to bring trust back to you. There is a lot of shit out there. There's a lot of stuff being censored, and it stops here with our community. And I'm a gas passer, which means I put this guy's patients to sleep. I know that you don't want to be filled up with any hot air. Ultimately, we want you to connect with us. Ask us questions. Let's build a community around trust. No more bullshit. So if you're watching or listening on Rumble, click that red join button in the bottom right over here, and that will take you directly to GCP Raw. We're super excited for you to join. I mean, seriously, it's going to be pretty cool. Yeah, I don't disagree with what you're saying at all. Uh, having a granddaughter born here recently, and I can still remember when when my boys were born, they, they being the hospital, had many points of contact where they wanted to uh, feed the boys or even Lena. And it was, we had to be steadfast that that's not, that's not our plan. And of course, and I don't remember if it was Infamil or whoever it was, but it was definitely a branded push because I was given material on why it was better for my. Yo, you were. Uh, yeah. I mean, this is back in, in two, early 2000s. But yeah. Um, yeah, I agree with you. That's, uh, that's bullshit. And, um, if it's natural, it's hard, it's hard sell to tell me that, that we've come up with a synthetic way that's just that much better. I'm sorry. And another sidebar, the opposite direction here real quick, as you start instituting foods for your child. Yeah. I read James Nestor's book, Breath, Breath. The Lost art science or something it's been a little while since i read it but he's got a whole chapter on there about how us as humans it certainly in the developed societies our skulls have been shrinking specifically the soft palate is getting smaller and what he did in the book is he described in detail looking at skulls over time in humans and how it's just been shrinking and probably it's because we're 
giving our kids this soft, mushy food, mm. and you're not working your jaws, mm. and you're not working the soft palate. When you look at other uh, countries that institute fairly early on food, you know, choking hazard aside, it's food letting the, the baby work it. Well, if, like for instance, in, in Africa, they usually eat a lot of tubers and things like that, which are, you know, kind of hard. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the jaws, you don't have orthodontics. You don't have people pulling wisdom teeth out like crazy in Africa. They got good teeth. Great teeth. And according to James's book, according to James Nestor's book, it's because early on you're actually working the jaws and the soft palate and it opens up your skull, which also probably helps protect for later on obstructed sleep apnea, sinusitis. And he describes that it's the face that we're seeing over the last several decades where it's a bit of a sloped, recessed chin. Yeah. And it's a protruding um, forefront of your face because it's trying to find space. And it's the need to take out the wisdom teeth because there's no room for it anymore. So much so that a dentist out of England, uh, forgot Dr. Mew, I think his name is M-E-W, or, he developed a technique where you can do what's called mewing. And what you do is you roll your tongue and you forcefully push your soft palate. You do this over time, it will open it up. And in his book, he showed an adult, or basically a young adult, like 18 to like mm -hmm. 22, their facial structure changed as they were doing this mewing technique on a consistent basis. And the reason why they did that is because the person was having some sort, they were going to need oral surgery for something. And since he is more of a functional dentist, he said, I want you to use this technique. He was able to restructure the actual soft palate, hard palate, the whole nine yards so that it made more room for everything. It's awesome. It's super cool. Anyways, that's the sidebar. Let's get back to what we're talking about here, which is what do we do? We're talking about the microbiome. Your microbiome is constantly under attack. Your child's microbiome is constantly under attack. You said it right there, taking antibiotics and other medications, that will attack it. Diet mm. is another one. Infections, stress, poor sleep. And of course, we've got all these toxins and pollutants in the world. That can all attack your microbiome. So of all those that are out there, including infections, medications, some of those are unavoidable, toxins and pollutants. But the one thing that you can actually control, and you know who said it best to me, was Chris Kresser. Uh, we were talking, I think I was on his podcast, actually, when he said this. And he said, this is what I tell my patients. You can't control the air that you breathe, right. relatively speaking. You can't control you know, the bugs that you are exposed to. The one thing that you can control is what you put in your mouth. right? And that's what we're going to talk about here. So... Looking at this, if you see trends, there was an article published last year, and what it looked at was the trend of obesity, anxiety, ADHD, and autism spectrum disorder. But if you look at obesity right around the late 70s, there is an abrupt, and I mean it just starts to climb. And then somewhere in the 90s, you have a, a little jump, and then it peaks again with obesity and it is just a straight climb up and you said it when we were on the whiskey bros podcast mm -hmm. about how you were watching the original jaws yeah oh back in the yeah so the jaws of course uh, filmed in the 70s and uh, i was watching it with a younger person who hadn't seen jaws yet and they were at the beach scene where they were all basically talking everybody into getting back into the water and uh, they made an observation 
that, wow, everybody's skinny. And it wasn't like they did a casting call for thin people. That's just what people looked like back then compared to today. And it's, it sucks. It's sad. But that's more than likely related to our food supply more than anything. And, and you look at the people that were in that, in that screenshot there. It's, it is how I remember people looking when I went in the seventies and that mass of people, you, you can't unfortunately find that in America like that. We're much heavier now. It's really interesting. You said sad. Yeah. And so it is sad, but not sad as in boo-hoo sad. No. It's sad as in the standard American diet. Yeah, that's a fact. Right around the late 70s is when um, it was allowed to start putting in certain ingredients in the food supply, which we were never exposed to before that. Yep. One of them being these inflammatory fatty acids. You kind of hinted at it earlier with omega-3s, omega-6s. We have these inflammatory fatty acids, high fructose corn syrup, which... Wow, we could do a whole podcast on that. Oh, hey, we did. We did that. We did a whole podcast on that one. <laughs> Look back at high fructose corn syrup because it's shit. Do not take any high fructose corn syrup. Highly processed seed oils. Oh, think we did a podcast on that one also. For sure. Rapeseed. Yeah, canola oil, some people call it, but it's, it's really rapeseed. So you have these, the high fructose corn syrup does all different kinds of stuff, but it has been associated with anxiety and ADHD. You, your brain does not want to use that as fuel. In fact, it can't use it as fuel. It has to be processed in the liver. The processed seed oils actually are so pro-inflammatory that they can actually demonstrate in the lining of the small intestine that it creates inflammation, reactive oxygen species. And then this diet disrupts the microbiome. You have emulsifiers. You have artificial sweeteners. Just destroys the microbiome. And then uh, uh, something that I didn't even think about But as a child, when you're looking and you're feeding your child the standard American diet, which is a very beige color plate, kind of all think of a McDonald's tray, it's very low in iron. And as a child, your child may not be anemic. You go to the pediatrician and they'll check and be like, oh, all the blood work looks normal. But it has been shown that those children with lower levels of iron actually score worse on cognitive tests. Right. Specifically, they looked at math tests. The higher the iron level, the better, because iron is used as a cofactor for a lot of different things. We think of iron later in life as having too much iron. It can be detrimental, which is totally true. But as a child, you need a lot of iron. And so you're not getting that. So the standard American diet, you said it earlier, basically it creates inflammation. If you have inflammation, then you have inflammation in the brain. You have inflammation on the skin. This actually could be the root cause of why maybe your child has been told that they have ADHD. It could be why they have anxiety. They can't sit still. They can't concentrate. I'm, I mean, one of the things, if your, child, if your child is struggling, first thing you do is look at yourself and be like, am I doing everything in my power to help this child? And if you took your young child and the first thing that somebody said is we need to put your child on ADHD medicines instead of saying, let's talk about the diet at home. Yeah. They don't do that. Mm-mm. You have to start there. And then when you look at that curve that I talked about that graph, not just obesity, but that anxiety and ADHD does the same thing. Same thing. It's just a little bit more delayed. So we know that high fructose corn syrup was implemented. That starts the obesity trend. The other things definitely correlate with the processed seed oils and the highly inflammatory fatty acids. 
So, and this is where I really begin to feel for people who, who really want to do well by their kiddos. And it's not too late to change. And in fact, I even want to point out that if you feel like, well, shit, I missed the golden window. The more important thing is the golden window just happens to be the window that it's the easiest to have this influence. It doesn't mean that things can't be corrected. Um, however, so now that they got that out of the way, sometimes people look at, they, they go shopping for food and they look and they find uh, the organic or non-GMO label. And that definitely makes you feel good. It makes me feel good. I like seeing that on, on certain products. If I have to, if I have to buy a processed product, it doesn't mean you can't still read the label. They've, they've worked in legislation to get certain things in so that they can slide in like things like organic canola oil or, (laughs) or organic, uh, sunflower oil or organic, uh, soybean oil. Look at a bottle of something that will say like real mayonnaise. I think that Hellman's or someone similar to that has one that says real mayonnaise on there. Bull shit. The first ingredient on there is going to say soybean oil. And you just have to condition yourself. You just, you have to commit to your own memory while you're shopping. What am I shopping for? And it may, it may change where you actually shop or you may wait till you get a better product that doesn't have that. But Sunflower, safflower, uh, soybean, canola. Uh, there's, there's, there's not eight or nine different oils out there that literally are going to turn the gut and in, into an inflamed state, and it's going to be detrimental. It doesn't matter if you're a kid, a baby, or an adult. The result is it puts the body in complete defense, and this is where the shit comes from. And they they pass it off. Labels look great. On, on the front, the, the design, et cetera. But you have to look at the ingredients. You have to learn how to read it for yourself because no one's going to do it for you and definitely no one's going to do it for your kid other than you. And so if you want to be serious about it, you have to be serious and committed to learning this stuff. Yeah. Now, as two people that are in science, yeah, the argument would be, well, there haven't been large randomized placebo-controlled trials in humans to actually demonstrate what you're saying here. And there are really excellent researchers. I'm thinking of Lane Norton. Dr. Lane Norton uh, goes by the moniker BioLane. He's got a great YouTube channel. He's been on Andrew Huberman, Peter Atia recently was on, which I think is funny because I've seen him on so many different podcasts, mm-hmm. but he was on uh, Two Bears, One Cave. Oh, nice. <laughs> and so Dr. Ackerman sent me. He's like, you got to hear this guy. And I'm like, <laughs> you finally found him. That's cool. <laughs> on Two Bears, One Cave. But, uh, you know, his... He's sort of the contrarian because he wants to like keep people honest about it. Well, the studies aren't there. And so he's somebody that actually discusses artificial sweeteners are okay. And it's a highly debated topic. My deal is I can see in animal models, there's inflammation. We can see in vitro, meaning when they do lab tests, that there is an inflammatory process. This leads to this high fructose corn syrup, no argument. That is shit. And I don't think you can argue at all to justify that. that throw that aside. But the other stuff. I'm not risking it. I'm not, I don't want to have my child and be like, well, there's no randomized placebo-controlled trials yet. And then by the time they turn 20 and they're on antidepressants and ADHD medicine, be like, should have started back then. My bad. I don't want to do that because we know that at least you're under control. And the worst thing that can happen, the worst, is that you're eating a whole food, healthy diet 
and all you're doing is reading a label. That's literally the worst. So if, it, if I'm going to risk that and then later disproven in a large trial, then again, screw that shit also because we know who puts on those trials. Yeah. To have the money to do that large of a trial. Yep. Yeah, the same people that, uh, that paid the researchers that, that did the sugar study back in the day or the original people that said, oh, no, polyunsaturated fatty acids, margarine is better for you and heart health. So I'm glad that you bring that up. So margarine, what is margarine? And just like that graph that you're discussing right there on the increase in obesity, the increase on ADHD and anxiety for young kids, the you can look at the same graph when they discovered that they could create basically, it's fake butter is what margarine is. And margarine is vegetable oil. Vegetable oil is the precursor to things that are now called soybean, safflower, et cetera. It's the original. It's the OG inflammatory oil. <laughs> the old G yeah. inflammatory oil. And it's, it is what it is. And if you look at uh, brands like Country Crock or whatever, uh, it don't eat that shit. It's, it's not butter. It, it has never been butter. And if you look at the graph, when they begin to substitute butter, butter consumption goes down. Margarine consumption goes up. So does BMI, obesity, diabetes, et cetera. Well, heart disease also. Heart disease. So much so that the... FDA had to intervene and say, okay, we need to decrease the amount of these polyunsaturated fatty acids. So fortunately, that went up and that's decreasing, but still it gets hidden in there. Yeah, it and gets you hidden have to, in there. You have to look. And it gets hidden in, in, in small things you wouldn't think of. Barbecue sauce. I mean, you just don't eat it. Yeah. You just don't. So I think we pretty much established that you have to start early in utero. Yeah develop your child's brain in an appropriate way using the DHA, then ultimately protect that microbiome. You've got the golden window that's there. And now we're talking about the different foods you're going to start them on. So let's shift gears and talk about your child's mood because this all plays a big role into it also. This increasing depression, increasing anxiety. And this doesn't, that last article didn't even include the last three years that we know that it's a, with the current situation of the world and the pandemic and everything, we know mm-hmm. that all those things went, went up. Mm-hmm. When I talk to my patients and they tell me, you know, I'm trying to lose weight, but I really struggle because when I see certain foods, I just have this emotional response, pizza, fried chicken, ice cream, chocolate, not milk, uh, not dark chocolate, milk chocolate, whatever. Certain foods trigger a response in people, and then they, they really struggle to control themselves. Well, that's because due to memory or cultural things or even just an ultimate trigger, you're releasing dopamine. Right. And dopamine is a short reward neurochemical. And so if you understand that, then you can understand why sometimes maintaining control is tough. But I don't want to talk about mood in that regard. I want to talk about your child's mood because in addition to dopamine, there's serotonin, norepinephrine, and GABA. There's also acetylcholine, but the ones that really you can manipulate with diet, you can manipulate all of them a little bit with diet, but what you really want is you want your child to be happy, to be motivated, get out there and learn. So let's just go through each one really quick about where it comes from because it all has to have the proper diet to make sure that your child has enough of these neurotransmitters. So the first one, dopamine. Now, dopamine is responsible for reward and pleasure. We know that. Most people have kind of realized that dopamine is that thing. That's how come addiction is so powerful because Mm -hmm. it's that dopamine hit. But it's also needed for motor control and movement 
It is the thing that motivates you to get out there and do different things. It actually helps with the overall mood in general, and really important, it's necessary for learning and memory. So keeping that in mind. The kicker is this. It comes from an amino acid called tyrosine. Now, tyrosine gets converted into dopamine that then becomes norepinephrine. Tyrosine needs an enzyme called tyrosine hydroxylase to convert it over to the intermediate step to eventually make it to dopamine. Very sciencey, according to Siobhan Sarno, when I did her SIBO SOS, she's like, this is getting real sciencey. I'm like, I know the name sounds sciencey, but just think of it this way. You take a proper diet, which includes these amino acids, you take the tyrosine. Tyrosine hydroxylase, the enzyme, is dependent on a healthy gut. It actually needs metabolites from your microbiome to increase its production. So the more of a healthy gut you have, the more tyrosine to dopamine you produce. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a healthy gut, then you're going to struggle to take that amino acid. And so... So what, and what does that look like? So if you have a, a kiddo who is oftentimes lacks focus, is unmotivated, uh, irritable, oftentimes can be associated with the, not a high enough ability to have a dopamine response. And if you've... I'm, I'm trying to get him motivated to, it doesn't matter what it is, clean his room, whatever. If you're putting a task in front of them that's obviously achievable and they know that there is a reward for, you know, being compliant with your rules in your house, but they don't do it, is their, is their diet really shitty? I mean, could it, could it be that? And it's, it's worth investigating because if it's something you can correct, you won't just be correcting it so they clean their room. You'll be correcting it for, so that they can form better habits for the rest of their life. Yeah. I'm just thinking of a parent screaming at their child, you know, why are you so lazy? Just look back and be like, because you feed me shit and I can't make my own dopamine. That's why I'm sitting on the couch playing video games. I mean, that's some cold, hard facts, but that might be true. (laughs) Well, I know. Yeah. That's the thing. So, all right. So then, so the next one, serotonin, this is actually made from the amino acid tryptophan. Yep. And the biggest thing that serotonin is there for is that it actually helps your mood. This is the happiness thing. It controls your appetite. It's also used in thinking and in memory, necessary, helps you go to sleep because it eventually becomes melatonin. And something that people don't realize is that it actually is the main transmitter, neurotransmitter. Well, we call it neurotransmitter. I'm calling it more of a hormone now Mm -hmm. that helps your gut move. And we know in my world, if you're constipated, If you have gastroparesis, meaning that your stomach doesn't empty, we actually have drugs to stimulate those specific serotonin receptors. Now, 90% of all the serotonin, head and body, is produced in the gut. Mm -hmm. Doesn't take a genius to realize that if you don't have a healthy gut, you may not produce the serotonin. Why? Because it has another one of those rate-limiting enzymes. And so you've got this tryptophan hydroxylase that is actually controlled on the border of the small bowel. It's got little cells that actually convert that. So if you have an inflamed intestine, you're not producing enough of the the enzyme to convert the tryptophan to serotonin. I mean, this is pretty easy to put together. Uh, Although serotonin is produced both in the brain and in our central nervous system and in the gut, it's important to to recognize. We talked about gut-brain axis earlier, right? Mm -hmm. How common is the association between someone who has a uh, a known depression and GI distress? I mean, it's 
really close to one to one. Oh yeah. I mean, it, that's, in fact, it's so close to one to one that forever when I was uh, in training, if somebody had irritable bowel syndrome, your first reaction was to give them an antidepressant. Yeah. Instead of looking and thinking about other things, and now we know that irritable bowel is probably over, almost always caused by an imbalance of your microbiome and bacteria growing where it shouldn't be. GI distress and depression are hand in hand clinically by anybody who's paying attention. So you have a child that has trouble staying asleep, they're down, they're overeating because it's appetite control. Mm, yeah. And then that overeating thing, if you're if you're not producing serotonin, which keeps you low-level happy, or it maintains you so that your mood swings are not there, mm-hmm. and you happen to get one of those mood and food rewards where you realize that here, I have ice cream, I at least feel a little bit better for a little bit. That's that dopamine spike yeah. that then drops, and now you're back. You're back again. And it's this vicious cycle. So we don't even think that if I don't have serotonin, I don't really have appetite control. I'm down. I'm not sleeping, which means my cortisol is up. The only thing that makes me feel kind of good is is eating certain things that produce some dopamine or doing behavior that produces certain dopamine, video games. Yeah. Well, and uh, social media. Well, and unfortunately, somebody who's already depleted in serotonin means they also don't have enough serotonin to be converted to the analog melatonin, Mm -hmm. which is the natural way to get your brain prepared to fall asleep. The pineal gland depends upon that, that transition to happen so that it can, it can do that. Yeah. So if you're low on serotonin, more than likely a depressive person often has times going to sleep. They have mind racing they're thinking, overthinking about certain, I, I can't get this thought out of my head. I can't fall asleep. It could be gut inflammation, not enough serotonin, not enough serotonin converting to melatonin, and you've got racing mind. And there you go. Yeah, totally. And so we've got these different examples of how this actually, uh, the diet plays into the gut. Sure. And the next one is GABA. Nobody ever, or people, I shouldn't say nobody, people just don't think about GABA. Oh, uh, really quick about this, because I know that we're, we've, we've had this question, and we did answer it on some Instagram reels. Uh, mothers frequently, and it's being marketed to kids, make no doubt about it, melatonin for your child. The reality is studies are now showing that it kind of disrupts the introduction into puberty. Yep. And so, at least with people that I have heard, neuroscientists and children developmental people, they do not recommend giving melatonin. Give the precursor so that your body can decide what to make. Because if you give melatonin over a period of time, your body will shut down that conversion to serotonin to melatonin because there's plenty of it there. Yep. And that can actually affect the growth and development into puberty. It's called a negative loop feedback. Yes. It basically detects that there's some there, so it just it becomes inefficient at making enough. Yeah. So the, uh, so the next one I was going to get into is GABA, which stands for GABA aminobutyric acid. But GABA is made from glutamate, mm-hmm. and glutamine, another amino acid, can be converted to glutamate, which then moves on to make GABA. The biggest and most important thing about GABA is that it is the traffic cop. It slows everything down. So you talked about the racing mind. Mm-hmm. Could be that there's not enough GABA to kind of calm this down. When you have this different anxiety that actually could be due to lack of GABA. GABA also helps you start to fall asleep. So we're seeing how all these kind of interplay. You need some GABA to calm the brain down, then you need that serotonin to be converted to melatonin to have a good night's sleep. Yeah. So then you can move there. 
It also helps to calm the mind so that you can actually allow the dopamine and serotonin to help with the focus and the learning process. So these all play into each other. Fortunately, what we're talking about is another simple thing. GABA is converted by an enzyme, glutamate hydroxylase, to, uh, I'm sorry, glutamate is converted to GABA through an enzyme, which, dun da da is dependent on certain microbial metabolites to actually augment that. Right. So, it sounds really sciencey, but the reality is these are amino acids. And if you are eating a proper diet and avoiding the SAD diet, this, the standard American diet, you're going to get these amino acids. And if you have a healthy gut, your body's going to convert it to these necessary neurotransmitters. Do we have listed key foods on there? Or are we just putting them in the notes on where to find? Uh, yeah, we, we can. Yes, we do. So here, now it gets a little bit less sciencey. But you, you could see the gut-brain access. You'd brought that up earlier. So yeah. now we clearly have this gut-brain access. Clearly. So what do you want to do? Always think of this. Think of protecting and feed your gut. So you want to protect your gut. Avoid a diet in highly processed foods. Avoid antibiotics if possible. Sure. Antibiotics are necessary. Um, and then certainly develop good sleep hygiene. And then regarding feeding it, you need to feed your microbiome what it wants. It wants large, stable polyphenols. It wants fiber. And it does want some fermented foods. And I say fermented foods because we know that taking just random probiotics has not been shown to be a long-term fix to keep the microbiome healthy. When I talk about large, stable polyphenols, we clearly talk about polyphenols all the time here. Mm -hmm. Um, What you want is something that can survive digestion, make it to the microbiome, at which point your bacteria break it down. And so think of it like Lego pieces. If you start out with a small Lego piece, that is a small phenolic compound. And then you put a few of those together and then you have a slightly larger phenolic compound called a flavonoid, resveratrol, quercetin. Then you put a couple flavonoids together and then you end up with a catechin. That's green tea extract. Then you put a bunch of those together. You end up with a proanthocyanidin. It's what marketers are now using all the time. They're catching up to this. They're saying packed with proanthocyanidins. Well, all it is is just a large polyphenol. Mm -hmm. You put a bunch of those together and you end up with the world's largest, most stable polyphenol called a tannin. And of those, Cabracho Colorado happens to be one of the most stable and largest tannins. And so in this molecule, which is in Atrantil, we know that there exists quercetin. There exists green tea. And people go and they buy all these supplements, but you still have to have the right microbiome to take advantage of it because otherwise you're taking foods that are very high in these polyphenols. You're not getting full advantage of it. Correct. So it's this vicious circle that if you don't have the right microbiome, then you can't take full advantage of the foods and supplements that you're eating, Mm -hmm. that you're taking in. And if you're eating a highly processed diet, if you're destroying your microbiome through taking antibiotics and such, that's a negative feedback loop because the bacteria that do survive, which we're going to call dysbiosis is the term, having too much bad bacteria and not enough good bacteria, sends signals to the brain that says we need more of that because that's, that's all who's here. So if you wonder why it's really hard when you're eating kind of a crap diet and on January 1, you go, I'm just going to eat healthy Mediterranean diet and you feel worse for a little bit because your microbiome isn't ready for it yet. I mean, there are literally food engineers that spend hours every day figuring out how they can get someone to elicit 
that pattern of wanting more of the food product that they're selling. And it's not, it's not natural foods. It's, it's packaged foods that they're doing it with. There's lots of big food companies. You can look them up, but uh, yeah, that's what they do. The example I always hear is I'm going to give you a large baked potato, Mm -hmm. eat that and you're going to be satiated. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give you a can of Pringles which oh. is essentially a large baked potato, and you'll just plow through that. You'll, you'll want another tube. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so putting it all into action for your child. First thing, stop eating the sad diet. Eat a colorful plate. Yeah. Eat real food, colorful plate. Make sure your child is getting enough iron. That means that red meat has iron, lentils, beans, tofu, spinach, pumpkin seeds. You can increase the iron absorption by actually giving some vitamin C with it. So if you're going to do spinach, put a little lemon juice on it. That increases the iron absorption. As far as eating fermented foods, there's all different kinds of fermented foods. I like the fermented foods because you have a polyphenol shell with bacteria inside. Mm -hmm. And that you have a higher likelihood of that making it all the way to the colon. So fermented foods, uh, kimchi, yogurt, sauerkrauts, uh, that kind of thing. You can make your own sauerkraut. Also, it's pretty easy to do. So adding a little bit of that with foods or using it as a garnish is awesome. Get those omega-3 fatty acids for proper brain development. You look up how to get more omega-3 fatty acids, you're going to see olive oil, sardines, and and salmon, which eh, might be a little tough to pull off with a child. But things that people don't realize is that flax seeds have a lot of omega-3s. You can make flaxseed muffins. Chia seeds have a lot of omega-3s. Adding chia seeds to... You can make a chia seed pudding, and you're going to get some omega-3 fatty acids. You said something that uh, I'm even had to recondition myself a little bit now that we've now we've got uh, Lena, and that is that be hard to pull off with a child. And and I think for most of us that started off as young people with sad Good point. as our diet. Good point. Then yes, it was. It was because we were contaminated. I mean, we were, literally, our palates were contaminated by different sugars and different things like that. However, your children will quickly learn to love the foods that you give to them. And if you're giving them a healthy diet, and if you have this advantage from the jump, it's it's not that difficult. Um, That's a good point. I mean, you just, you have to set the stage. You have to set the example uh, to do that. And it's it, it seems counteractive and it seems weird. Well, you know, they, they definitely need sugary cake on their first birthday, but really, they, they don't. They don't have to have that. And they, they would never know the difference if you don't give it to them. Yeah. No one-year-old is sitting there going, <laughs> I really need this cake. They, they're not saying anything. There's a, there's a lot of other ways to get those omega-3s. Hemp seeds have them. One thing that I thought was interesting, I found a website where to try and make uh, children's foods where you're trying to incorporate a lot of these. Yeah. Instead of just doing bullshit fish sticks that you get at the supermarket, <laughs> you make salmon strips. Yes. Bread them or however it is, and then just, you know, lightly grill them, and now you've got fish sticks made out of salmon. I mean, you can make you can make breading out of out of chopped up almonds. Yeah, almonds. And, and just put it in a little bit of avocado oil, and now you've got yourself a healthy, balanced fish stick. Yeah, absolutely. And that is to get those omega-3s. Now, let's kick up that dopamine. Child sitting on the couch all the time, not moving, has no motivation to do anything. So, fortunately, a lot of foods actually have the amino acid tyrosine. 
uh, cheese has it, peanut butter has it, eggs, milk, yogurt, cottage cheese, turkey, almonds, and there's a little, just naming those, you can come up with all different kinds of things. I mean, just do some chicken nuggets, don't fry them, bake them, and there you're going to be getting some tyrosine. Yep. That gets turned into dopamine. And to get that serotonin up, well, we know that we need some tryptophan. So the amino acid tryptophan, the classic Thanksgiving turkey, oh, that's why everybody gets tired. That's not, you know, not really why everybody gets tired. It's because you ate a lot and you drank two bottles of wine (laughs) (laughs) watching football and whatever. But um, it is in turkey and chicken, milk, cheese, nuts and seeds, and in chocolate, specifically dark chocolate, because you want to make sure that you get those natural polyphenols and to boost your GABA GABA is found in a lot of different foods like tomatoes cheese mushrooms mm. real big in, in in having glutamate what I'm talking about is glutamate to get the GABA up broths stock seaweed and glutamine is an amino acid you'll find in milk and dairy products chicken eggs beef and fish so there's a lot of ways but there's a pattern here it's eating whole foods and something that we always talk about with my patients is what would your microbiome want? Mm-hmm. So if you're a mom and you're with your kids and you're in line at a fast food restaurant, stop and think and go, what would my microbiome want? What would their microbiome want? Because eating a highly processed food, the standard American diet, you can end up sort of undoing a lot of the other stuff that you're trying to do in your life. I mean, it's, I always find it interesting when I find you know people that will um, go really out of their way to do whatever, avoid EMFs or, you know, do some kind of probably eventually it'll probably be played out that that's important or to whatever it, drink, you know, never drink out of a plastic bottle, but then they're eating stuff like this. Yeah. It's like, look, this is the low hanging fruit. Yep. That stuff is like next level when you really want to biohack your way to perfect health. I know that nobody wants to hear this if they aren't doing it already, because I didn't want to hear it when I wasn't doing it already. But if you're going to plan an outing, that ultimately is going to turn into someone being hungry while you're away from home. Get in the habit of doing what people did up and until it's, it seems like up until like the eighties and nineties. And, and that is pack a meal, pack, know what you're going to eat. Don't guess at what the restaurant or the fast food place is going to sell to you and put it in a package. Do something like with your family, figure out what is it that we want to eat, put it in a cooler and then when it's time to take the break, if you're off doing a bunch of, you know, basketball or soccer yeah. games or whatever, yeah. find a nice park, hang out and actually talk with your, your family, put the phone away, pull out the food that you know is nutritious for them. They'll actually perform better in their athletic event or their UIL event or whatever, whatever event that they're doing, they'll be better for it. And you'll, you'll essentially be showing them there are better habits than just whipping into the drive through and hoping that you're choosing the best food. I'm guilty of it. I did it when, when I was younger, and I think that when you find new things, this is just a better way. I, I love hearing that because um, when Lloyda brought Carla back from a tennis tournament recently, some other parents are getting involved, like like starting to pay attention to this. Yeah. And so before it was, we're going to run to Chick-fil-A. We're going to run to Subway. We're going to run to, does anybody want anything? We're going to run to McDonald's down the road and do anything. And there's a few parents, especially in, in the cities that they're playing in, where it's, I'm going to run to H-E-B. Nice. And get some stuff to make lunch. Anybody have a particular preference? And so then it's getting the ingredients to make, you know, proper stuff, getting your carbs, getting your macros in, getting your, your lean meats and that kind of thing. I love hearing that. 
where it's slightly more inconvenient, but not really because you're parking, you're not waiting in line, you walk in, you just choose some stuff. Uh, one of the parents just came back, almost had like this sandwich making station of like healthy stuff and healthy breads and stuff. Brilliant. I loved it. So yeah. just side note, and something that I did do when the boys were younger is, you know, everybody takes turn bringing the snacks for the games and all this other kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> not every parent did it at first because, you know, typically someone will just get a cooler and throw, I don't know, Capri Suns or, you know, yeah. just different baggies of Oreos and whatever else. I just knew I didn't want that for my kids at that age. I didn't have, wasn't exposed to near the knowledge that we are now, but I just knew I didn't, I didn't like that. So I would always pack a ton of fruit. And when it was our day to bring the snacks, well, I only brought fruit. And you know how many kids complained? None. <laughs> you just bring really good nectarines you, and you bring a, a bunch of grapes. Kids don't give a shit. They eat it and then suddenly they feel fine and they're not complaining that they don't have, I, I don't know, fill in the blank on some kind of cheap, sugary, shitty food. But... If, if you're sitting here wondering, how do I make the change? This is hard. Be the change. Yeah. And actually, it's not even a change. It's a reversion back to what everybody did in the first place. <laughs> change The change was being moved over to this shit food and being told that it was food. It's not food. Anyway, I'm off the box. Yeah. So anyways, um, this is, I hope this answered several of the questions that we were getting from moms. And that's at least something to start with. We could even... Take it up a notch and do on on the raw channel. We can do some recipes and things like that. Definitely. And, and if you're on raw, we'll we'll have up a PDF of of uh, some of uh, Ken's food selections, and hopefully we can. I think we might even have a couple of uh, specific baby formula brands for those moms who are looking to fortify effectively with uh, DHA and stuff like that. We'll, yeah, we'll have some things on their list. I would you. suck at a baby food manufacturer. It would be just like chopped up sardines in a jar, so they could actually chew it, increase their palate, get their omega threes and the protein. So Ken doesn't have time, but if you want to come up with a great baby formula company that we'll definitely promote, you should totally do that. <laughs> All right. So to recap, just remember this: we covered a lot of material right there. It seems like a lot, but really, it just makes total sense. It's logical. The sad diet is sad. The standard American diet is sad. You can't have a healthy brain without a healthy gut. Treat your microbiome well, and it will treat you well. And there is a critical window to make this happen, zero to three. And mood is dependent on neurotransmitters that our guts help to convert the amino acid to the, amino, to the uh, neurotransmitter. So it's just that simple. And there we have it, our answer to the questions about mood and children. You love your kids. Take care of your gut. Take care of their gut. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Please be certain to like and share. Check us out on Rumble and on Locals Raw, and we will see you all next time. Take care. That's a wrap for this episode of the Gut Check Project, and we appreciate you for being a part of it. Be sure to follow us on your favorite platform for podcasts. You can find the GCP on Locals, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, Rumble, and more. And you can always check out gutcheckproject.com to find all episodes and interact with the show. Tell your friends and family not to wait to get Gut Check.